My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. Our Sunday School is part of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. To prepare for this lesson, please go to OurSundaySchool.com for a copy of today's handout. Now, let's get to this week's lesson. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Our Sunday School. Uh, I have a, uh, a terrible, terrible Pentecostal joke that I tell in uh, November when we uh, fall back. Right, it's Benny Hinn Sunday. Um, it's okay. I'm just going to let it sit for a second. When Dave Barber, yeah, there we go. <laughs> just remember, he who laughs last thinks slowest. It's all right. Um, what always makes me laugh is in 20 seconds somebody will laugh at that one, and then that's really good. But when Dave rolls his eyes at me, I know the joke was terrible. Uh, and this Sunday morning is low attendance Sunday school, so congratulations and welcome to those of you online. Uh, glad you guys are with us. But we are on page 150, if you have your green books. Uh, if you need a copy, it's at OurSundaySchool.com. But uh, we're on page 150 of our green books today. And uh, I was talking uh, to Bethany Barber before class started and I told her that uh, you know, sometimes there are weeks where you look at a phrase or a word or a concept, and I knew a couple of weeks ago that I was not going to be able to go down the rabbit hole that I really wanted to go down with this concept because it would take six weeks to teach this phrase. Uh, so I intentionally restricted my study view to only what I think I could accommodate in a lesson. Um, so if it feels like we're going to bump up against the concept and then kind of pull back, that's because I didn't study that on purpose. So, And it aggravates the fool out of me to say that. So, All right, so with that, let's go through and read uh, Philippians chapter 2. Uh, so Philippians chapter 2. <clears throat> so if then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy... Make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look not to his own interests, but rather to the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you, both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world by holding firm to the word of life. Then I can boast in the day of Christ that I didn't run or labor for nothing. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Now I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, 
so that I too may be encouraged by news about you. For I have no one else like-minded who will genuinely care about your interests. All seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know his proven character, because he has served with me in the gospel ministry like a son with a father. Therefore, I hope to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. But I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, as well as your messenger and minister to my need, since he has been longing for all of you since and was distressed because you heard that he was sick. Indeed, he was so sick that he nearly died. However, God had mercy on him, and not only on him but also on me, so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. For this reason, I am very eager to send him so that you may rejoice again when you see him and I may be less anxious. Therefore, welcome him in the Lord with great joy and hold people like him in honor because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up what was lacking in your ministry to me. Philippians chapter 2. All right, so let's go to the next slide, Dave. If you guys had to guess which phrase I wanted to go down the rabbit hole with. So, but even if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. It's tricky to say, isn't it? Yeah. Pouring out a drink offering on the sacrificial service of your faith. Sacrificial service of like it is a... You have to do uh, exercises. Yeah, it's this concept of the drink offering. Uh, so, but before we get to the drink offering, I want to just kind of back up just a little bit. So from what we have read so far in Philippians, does Paul give us the view that he wants to and expects to see the Philippians again or no? This is see them again or not see them again. See them again, right? Yes, okay. So we see this in several places. We, see, we get this, the hint of it in Philippians 1. Uh, we get a very clear, uh, very clear uh, uh, statement of it in Philippians 2. Um, with, uh, I am confident in the Lord that I myself will also come soon. So this is, this is his heartbeat. This is his, where his heart is being pulled. So kind of keep that in the, the back of your mind. So let's start on page 115 in your green book. Uh, verse 17, but, but even if, and the even if here is really important. The if is incredibly important because Paul uses an indicative. This is not a, a subjunctive where this is a possibility for this poured out as a drink offering, which is all really one word. I'm poured out as a drink offering, which seems like a lot of words to explain the concept, but it's a lot of words to explain a concept. Um, and a couple other things to notice before we kind of dive into the concept of a drink offering here. Uh, this is a passive word. So does this mean Paul is pouring himself out or Paul is, being, Paul is being poured out, right? So I am poured out. That's why he didn't say I am pouring myself out. That'd be a different kind of a concept. So he's being poured out as a drink offering. So let's go down just a little. Let's, let's acknowledge the rabbit hole of the drink offering. Uh, and I'll have us go, so we're going to need your Old Testament here for just a minute. Um, does anybody know where the concept of a drink offering is first mentioned? If you had to guess where the first mention of a concept might be, 
what would the first book that would come to mind to be for the first mention of a concept? Genesis, Genesis yes, very good. Thank you very much. Um, it's like, Revelation? No, guys, no. Uh, yeah, so Genesis, Genesis 35, 14. Uh, and so the interesting thing is, you know, we, we have things that pop up in Genesis where there are the practice precedes the directions, right? So we have this idea where the, like you saw somebody do it before God actually requires it or defines it or articulates all the rules and the details around it. So Genesis 35, 14, and Jacob set up a marker at the place where he had spoken to him. This is... Uh, Significant activity is going on here. A stone marker. He, Jacob, poured out a drink offering on it and poured oil on it. Jacob named the place where God had spoken with him Bethel. And thus, thousands of Baptist churches were named, right? So, there we go. Uh, so, this idea that there was, a, there was a drink offering poured out. So, what would a drink offering be for? So for, for just a second, I want you to turn off your Christian brain and turn on your pagan brain. <clears throat> so when a pagan offered food to their God, what were they in effect doing for their God? A fee, uh, appeasing and feeding, right? When a pagan would pour out a drink offering, appeasing and drinking. So this, is, this was a very pagan concept, and a very Jewish concept. There are times where things in the universe run parallel, and the devil looks at something and says, I can use that for my worship, and God says, I will allow that, fine, but this is for my worship. So in Genesis 35, we see kind of the first, uh, the, the first glimmer of this. Uh, in Exodus 25, 29, 30, and 38, this is where, you know, Moses gets the commands for building the what? The tabernacle. There we go. We got there. Yep. It's early, I know. And it's even earlier today. Uh, so this is the tabernacle. And the tabernacle had the physical structure itself. It had all the, uh, the stuff in it. So the table of showbread, the ark, the uh, mercy seat, the, like all these different components. But there were specific utensils. Uh, and in the, in the prophets, later on in the Old Testament, great detail is gone into explaining how the, uh, the Babylonians, when they raided the temple, they took all of these things and the utensils themselves are, are described as these were being taken as well. And some of those things that were defined by the Lord for the Levites to use in the service of the Lord were the drink offering utensils. And they show up in four different chapters. So if you think, like, well, if it shows up in four different chapters, it seems like we do this a lot. Yes, absolutely. Uh, most Old Testament scholars believed that there was not a scenario where you offered an offering without some type of a drink offering that accompanied it. So if you offered a, an animal offering or a grain offering, and then we won't get into all that. That's, those are even deeper holes. But they would always be accompanied with a, uh, a drink offering. So let's look at a couple of these spots real quick. Um, we, I won't go into the, all these details, but Leviticus 23 has a ton of the details. But let's go to Numbers 15.5. So jump over there for a second. Numbers 15.5. 
So Numbers chapter 15, if your Bible has a header, what's the header? Laws about sacrifices or offerings, right? These kinds of things. Which is where you would expect the details about the laws about the offerings and the sacrifices to show up. Good. Right. Um, let's look at, uh, let's just start with verse 1. The Lord instructed Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, when you enter the land I am giving you to settle in. Okay. What land is that? Israel. Where are they then? Are they in Israel then? In numbers, we are not in Israel. How far away is Israel on a timeline from where we are in Numbers 15? Somewhere less than 40 years. Very nice answer, yes. The mathematician in me wants to give you like a gold star and a check mark. That's fantastic. Yeah, so somewhere less than 40 years. This is not tomorrow, right? This is a promise of something to come. And I just want to hint at this this morning because I so badly wanted to go down this rabbit hole, but I didn't. So when you enter the land that I'm giving you to settle in and you make a... Now, if you, have you ever given directions to children? When do you give directions to children? Right before you need them to do it. Do you give directions to children years before you need them to do it? Not if you want it done, you don't, no. But there was something different about when the Lord engaged Moses. Moses remembered, the Spirit assisted, this is good. You make a food offering to the Lord from the herd of the, or flock, either a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a vow or as a freewill offering. This is kind of the, of all the ways that you could uh, kill an animal and sacrifice it to the Lord. This, this kind of encompasses it to uh, burnt offering or sacrifice, fulfill a vow or a freewill offering, or at your appointed festivals to produce a pleasing aroma for the Lord. The one presenting his offering to the Lord is also to present a grain offering of two quarts of fine flour mixed with a quart of oil. Prepare a quart of wine as a drink offering with a burnt offering or sacrifice of each lamb. Where does the detail about the drink offering come in that sequence? Right before the sacrifice of the lamb, right? Okay, good. Nice catch. Verse 6, if you prepare a grain offering with a ram, it is, to be used, uh, it is to be four quarts of fine flour mixed with a third of a gallon of oil. Also present a third of a gallon of wine for a drink offering as a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Where does the drink offering come in the sequence of those things? Well, at the end here, right? At the end. Verse 8, so if you prepare a young bull as a burnt offering or a sacrifice to fulfill a vow or as a fellowship offering to the Lord, a grain offering of six quarts, a fine flour mixed with two quarts of oil. It is to be presented with the bull. Also present two quarts of wine as a drink offering. It is a food offering, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. Do you see where the drink offering happens? It happens at the end. The drink offering is associated with the end of the sacrificial process. So you'd sacrifice the food, you'd sacrifice the grain, and then you pour out the drink on top of it. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? Some of you are like, I don't know. Make it a little clearer. Okay, let's get a little clearer. So a couple observations about the drink offering in the Old Testament. Uh, it was wine. It was wine. And if that offends our Baptist sensibilities, well, then it was wine. Right? The only thing we ever see that is used as a drink offering in the Old Testament is wine. It is not grape juice. It is wine. All right. Another observation, uh, it was always present. 
it was always present. If you did a sacrifice, you had a drink offering. Like these two things always happen together. These are not up on the screen. Uh, and then the last thing that I would tell you, my observations about the drink offering, is it was last. Right? So it was wine, it was always present, and it was last. So now let's go to the New Testament. There are a couple of times where a drink offering is mentioned in the New Testament. Does anybody want to take a stab at where you know one of them is? I think this is an easy question. Oh, I was going to say Philippians 2, but he's going to make it really, really easy. So the other, the other uh, phrase where, sorry, this is, you're, you're, you're getting there, yes. You're, you're a step, you're a bullet point ahead of me in my notes here. Uh, 2 Timothy 4, 6. 2 Timothy 4, 6. Who wrote 2 Timothy? Don't say Timothy. Paul wrote, Tim, Paul wrote uh, 2 Timothy, right? And to Timothy, he writes, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time for my departure is close. What is he talking about? I'm about to die, right? Because when do we do the drink offering? At the end do you notice that he's writing to Timothy this concept of the drink offering? And in Philippians 2, who is in the very next paragraph after he talks about the drink offering? Timothy. What's he talking to Timothy about? The father-son relationship. There's this reminiscing. There's this looking back. So Timothy is very closely associated in the New Testament with this concept of a drink offering. It's really interesting stuff. But uh, as Mitch pointed out, we've got to go to Luke 22. Let's go to Luke 22. Because in the New Testament, let's look at verse 19 to start. Actually, let's, let's just start back at the beginning. Uh, when the hour, verse 14, when the hour came, he reclined at the table, this is Jesus and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. You see, there is a forward-looking nature to this. And he took a cup, and after giving thanks, he said, Take this and share it among yourselves, for I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave to them, and said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is... poured out he's not just saying words at random right this is a very intentional phrase that jesus is using because the stuff that was happening in the old testament points to our lord jesus christ so so what happens on the cross is there anything on the cross where the concept of something being poured out could be connected with spear in the side that's absolutely right john 19 34 verse 32 so the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first man and the other one who had been crucified with him with jesus when they came to jesus they did not break his legs since they saw that he was already dead fulfilled prophecy but one of the soldiers pierced his side fulfilled prophecy with a spear and at once blood and water came out when do you do the drink offering? At the very end. 
What happens? What happens next? They go bury him, right? Because he's dead. Because you do the drink offering at the very end. When we participate in communion, there's a looking back, there's a present recognition, but there's also a looking forward. I think this is amazing stuff. So, that's my short little rabbit trail about the drink offering. So back to page 150. But even if I am poured out as a drink offering, even if this is the end, and it's an if, right? He didn't say it was. He said even if. But, but where did you pour the offering? Where did you pour the drink offering? This is an obvious answer. What's that? You poured it out, right? Where did you pour it out onto? The altar, right? You poured it out onto the altar. So, so he is going to now make a connection between this idea of him being poured out, but there's got to be an altar. If there's not an altar, you just spilled something, right? If you pour it onto an altar, now you have a drink sacrifice. Uh, onto the sacrificial service of your faith. That's the altar. Right? That's the altar. And this word for sacrifice uh, just means sacrifice. It's really, really clearly and well uh, translated. There's actually a, a chi in there as well. On the sacrificial, even so, service of your faith, the word service, let's go to the next slide here, Dave. Actually, maybe two more. Uh, the word uh, service is... Uh, Liturgia. Liturgia. Now, if you did not, you have a head start if you did not grow up in a Baptist church on what the English word that we derive from this word is. Liturgy. That's exactly right. It's liturgy. And uh, let's go to the next slide, Dave. So this is the word liturgy. So what does liturgy mean in our modern vernacular? Anybody know? Yeah, it's like an order of things. Um, Here... It just meant the public function that someone who was the officiant would perform. Uh, it, has, it has morphed in meeting a little bit to just mean the order in which things are performed. But at this day and age, this was the person who was performing the work. So if you think about the priest whose job it would have been to pour out the sacrifice, Paul is saying, he's saying, I, even as I am, uh, if I am poured out as a drink offering on the sacrificial service or priestly work of your faith so you see how he's communicating the priesthood of the believer here at this point which i think is a a really nice slide in of theology here um even if i am poured out on the sacrificial service of your faith so a couple of applications and personalizations bottom of page 151 uh, application number one christian service is an offering christian service is an offering Christian service is an offering. So what do we do with that? I I would say give everything, even the drink offering. And when it comes, pour it out gladly. Be poured out gladly. That's a better way to put it. Application number two, Christian faith is an offering. 
Christian faith is an offering. So give everything. See, there's a very real sense in which we are participating in the sufferings of Christ when we submit to the sacrifice of our lives in obedience to follow what God has commanded. Does this make sense? Is that too much of a leap? You with me there? So Christian services and offerings, so give everything. Christian faith is an offering, so give everything. Does the sentence stop there? There's a little more, right? Page 152. But even if I am poured out in the sacrificial service of your faith, I am terrified about what's going to happen. No, I am glad and rejoice. Look at the Greek word for glad. Cairo. Look at the Greek word for rejoice, sugkaro. You see the similarities? One of them just has a little prefix on the front side of it. It's very, very similar concepts here. Very similar. They're both verbs. So it's a present active indicative. So he, is, he has gone from being poured out to being glad himself. Because there's a connection between service and faith and joy. So I am glad, which just means happy. So I'm just going to keep hammering on this through Philippians. There's not a distinction in theological meaning or application in joy and happiness. They are the same thing. So please stop saying the world has happiness and Christians have joy. It is total and complete theological garbage. It is not what the words mean. The word for glad means happy. The word for rejoice means gladness and happy. The word for joy means happy. It's just be happy, all right? This is an outcome, however. This is the thing I want you to see. Happiness is not the start of the process. Happiness is the outcome of the process. So application here, Christian service results in joy. Christian service results in joy. In the sacrificial service of your faith, I am glad. And Christian faith results in joy. Christian service results in joy, so what do we do with that? We should serve. And Christian faith results in joy, so what do we do with that? We should believe. Now, is this joy on the behalf, is this uh, Philippian Christian joy, or is this Paul's joy in verse 17 is paul's joy right so when the philippians are properly sacrificing the service of their on their uh, an altar their faith the leader gets joy and paul in this beautiful beautiful construct on verse 18 if you turn the page he's like but that's not where this is going to end So in the same way, you, the plural you on page 153, you should also be glad. Do you see the same word, kairo? And then, and rejoice, sugkairo. So the exact same words that Paul said back on page 152 that he was experiencing, he's now 
plural present active imperative, commanding them to continuously experience this. I command you to be glad. Now we really sound like we're talking to our kids, right? Put a smile. This is no, this is not what that is. This is, you should also be glad. Why should they be glad? Because they're mimicking what Christ did for them. Obedience to the Father in finishing the work that they've been called to do. Ending with a pouring out as a drink offering of their sacrificial service of faith. Like, this is a really beautiful picture here. And Paul doesn't want to keep all of the joy and the happiness to himself. He's like, no, 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 no. You should be happy too. In the same way, you should also be glad and rejoice. Again, two plural present active imperatives. So the application in the bottom page 153, Christians are glad and rejoice. Christians are glad and rejoice. So what do we do with that? Be glad and rejoice. <laughs> and then there's this little word at the very end of the sentence on page 154, and it's amen, ego. This is with me. Because Application at the bottom of page 154. Christians are glad and rejoice with other Christians. This is not an individual exercise. This is the whole community can rejoice and be glad. So Christians are glad and rejoice with other Christians. So what do we do with that? Be glad and rejoice with other Christians. You're like, Jim, I feel like there's a theme today. Yeah. I love it when Paul puts the cookies on the lower shelf. So be glad and rejoice with other Christians. All right, I just realized I made a mistake. And my, Oh, there it is. Good, I found it. I didn't know where Habakkuk was, but I was able to find it, so that's good. Um, I have never, I don't think I have ever, I, I did searches yesterday and I couldn't find it, where I've ever uh, taught through the book of Habakkuk. Anybody been to a Habakkuk Bible study? Dave has, obviously, yes. Anybody else? No? Cool. Two points for you. Points have no monetary value. So there's that. Uh, Habakkuk might end more beautifully than any book that I have ever read. I went there and read Habakkuk a couple times yesterday because I was looking for a song that would encapsulate uh, this particular concept of rejoice and be glad. And uh, there's a, uh, a Christian artist... I'm blanking on his name now. He sings with Sovereign Grace Music. He writes a bunch of their stuff. And uh, he used to be part of a singing group called Glad. This was before Glad meant something else. And, uh, and one of their songs was Be Ye Glad. And it is phenomenally, incredibly, outstandingly encouraging. And if you want some homework today, go listen to the song Be Ye Glad. And this is the text that it is based on. So Habakkuk is a, 
Uh, it is not a, a happy book. You will not read through Habakkuk and be like, man, that is what I needed to hear if I wanted to have a good day. But it ends really, really well. So I'll start with verse 16 in chapter 3. I heard and I trembled within. My lips quivered at the sound. Rottenness entered my bones. I trembled where I stood. It sounds like Edgar Allan Poe more than anything else, right? Now I must quietly wait for the day of distress to come against the people invading us. So the Israelites are being invaded, and Habakkuk is praying. He's actually singing here. Uh, he's singing for the day where the enemies will have a day of distress to come against them. Verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there is no fruit on the vines. In an agrarian society, this is like worst case scenario. Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen, and that's not really a possibility, right? So he's gone from we had a bad year to like, nope. Um, and there are no herds in the stalls. Verse 18, it all turns here. I will sit, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord my Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. Boy, did that turn at the end or what? Like, it's desolate, it's desolate, it's desolate, but the Lord, my Lord. In verse 19, it's the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, the tetragrammaton, Yahweh. My Lord, capital L, lowercase o-r-d, is my strength. I don't think Habakkuk knew our Lord Jesus Christ's name, but that's who he's testifying of right here. And he's looking forward to the day where Christ will finish his work, will be poured out, and we can be glad because we can follow in our Savior's footsteps in obedience. So, be ye glad. <laughs> It is good, it is good, it is good. On a dark Sunday morning where it is raining and drizzling outside and we all got less sleep than we desired, be ye glad. Tomorrow morning, when we are still overcoming and fighting the effects of this goofed up clock system that we have, be ye glad. Next Sunday morning, when it all starts to kind of start to begin to feel all right, be ye glad. When we fall back in November, be ye glad. But be ye glad and rejoice. The tomb is empty. The gospel is true. And the King of kings and the Lord of lords is reigning on his throne. So be ye glad. All right. So that's the end of our next last pericope in this green book. Uh, I, I'm excited. I sent the, uh, if you'll notice the cover of your green books, it says part one right here. I have no idea how to change that. So I sent that off to our... Uh, Ex editor extraordinaire and uh, she'll get to it when she gets to it and when she does then I'll print off the next set of books so there we go but uh, but that's the lesson for today uh, you should have your weekly update on your tables there uh, the page that is turned up I just want to just a gentle reminder we have homework every single week in our Sunday school so our preparation is that we're ready to study by being rested and read up we're ready to pray by leaning in and engaging and we're ready to serve by being on time having eyes uh, open to needs and open mouths to engage. So just 
Remember, we have homework every single week, so we pray with others, hear with others, think with others, talk with others, study with others, and invite others. So don't forget to do the inviting this week. All right, if you have updates on your prayer requests, make those updates. And then once you're finished, uh, lean in, engage, and pray for somebody. Pray, pray, pray. And next week, Lord willing, we'll start with Philippians 2.19 on page 155 in the green book. So thanks for coming today, guys. Thanks for engaging, and don't forget to subscribe to our podcast, YouTube channel, and weekly email. You can subscribe to all three of those at OurSundaySchool.com. Grace and peace to you.